Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today we're talking about joy in our very first uh, live Zoom recording. I'm happy to be here and see actual human folks since we're all locked away with our uh, with our folks in our homes. So I'm glad to see you, Laura, in the IRL. Um, even though I feel like people have Zoom fatigue, I also feel like wildly excited to see everybody. Maybe it's just because there was so much Zooming and then there was none. <laughs> You know, it's like left. It's like a week of no zooms. It's like, oh, the void. There it is again, just creeping up on me in the free time. Yeah, and this is like a no judgment zone, though. Too like, I feel like we didn't have to like put our faces together or whatever to look look cute on the zoom. Or <laughs> I did put on some new chapsticks, so I don't know. I'll take a gold star for that if anybody's got it. To do. <laughs> Um, so I want to talk about joy. We were, we had a, a slew of things that we were thinking about talking about today, but I was like, it is the new year. And, uh, obviously I dropped a bunch of killjoy topics in for this season. I'm like, we cannot go out on that note. So I proposed joy because I've been thinking about it a lot, um, in terms of politics and in terms of activism, but I think probably we should start by, by talking about what we think joy is. Like, what are the components of joy? What do you think, Laura? I feel like for me, joy is like something you can't really force. It happens in moments of spontaneity. Like it's elusive sort of like there's no life hack or like you can't pull up a list. Like how do I feel joy? The steps aren't consistent. Like it's, it happens in moments of spontaneity. And I, I feel like it's elusive, but maybe it's not if you spend a lot of time colliding with other people but that's not something that's been happening a lot. <laughs> it's not something that's been happening happening a lot in the pandemic. And like, even before the pandemic, I don't think like most like adult, especially adult white people do a lot of colliding with other humans. And so for me, like joy requires other people. Like, I don't think I experience joy by myself for the most part. How about you? Uh, I feel like I'm joyful basically 24-7, uh, and so I don't feel that way, but I like the idea of collision now, although we call it super spreading, but <laughs> I feel like if, if collision is the right metaphor, like I'm the super collider, and not necessarily because I myself am colliding, but I feel like magnetism produces joy, and I feel like I'm magnetized or people are magnetized to me, so like I'm a site of joy very frequently, for better or worse. I think I, less so when I was a kid, but certainly more so as an adult. And while I agree that joy is spontaneous, I also think like if you look at the literature on joy, everybody talks about cultivating joy. Like it's very gardening-ish, right? So it's like, and then here are the things that you have to, you have to these nutrients and then th there's this process that happens and you have to tend to it. So there's a lot of, I think, um, cultivation that joy is actually attendant to right? So I really think that joy can be an intentional product of action in addition to something that we enjoy spontaneously. Now, I mean, the thing that lights me up is the spontaneous joy for sure, but I also think that it's a product of really specific intentional action. And I think, you know, when I was thinking about the episode, I was thinking about the kinds of positive feelings that resonate 
that we would collectively call joy. So I was thinking about appreciation, which I'm into. I think we'll probably talk a bunch about gratitude. Everybody likes to talk about gratitude right now. It's like vaguely Jesus-y, but then also you're like somehow socially aware. So like you can practice gratitude while you have shitty politics. So, I mean, I, I feel swishy about it, but as a, as a general practice, gratitude, I think ease. So I think people who feel at ease experience more joy. So I think uh, joy happens because there's meaning that's often shared. I agree with you that joy is best when it's shared. And I think contentment and in the happy, happiness ed episode that we recorded like a gazillion years ago, we distinguish between happiness and contentment. Obviously I'm down for the contentment more than the happiness. It's, it's a better political orientation, but I think contentment is a huge part of joy. So that means you have to be able to appreciate the moment for what it is rather than constantly comparing it to other moments that you've seen or experienced or whatever. I don't know. What makes you feel the most joyful? I don't know. Like as you bring this stuff up, like ease and like, as you uh, bring up cultivating joy, the main thing that comes to my mind is that like a lot of the situations that we put ourselves in, like work and school, like all of those are not oriented towards joy. I definitely experience more joy when like the stakes are low, like when I'm unbound by certain expectations. Um, or like if I can make an intervention in a like space that's really like basic or like um, repetitive. So I don't know though, I mean like for me, like it's hard for me to feel joy like doing the same stuff in and out like day in day out I have to like be able to do weird shit <laughs> like and be able to play you know like play is a prerequisite for me the stakes have to be low like I think competition is kind of like an enemy mm -hmm. of of joy because I feel like when you the people like who you're around are trying to critique you or judge you it's a it, difficult to find joy with them so like this competitive stuff that we do all of that to me like creates a difficult environment for joy oh yeah work is like the worst place for joy all i want to do is fuck around at work and i'm just like nobody can let yeah. them be you know vulnerable and they take themselves too seriously and it's just like it just is such a humor killer that I, it's a joyless place. Labor is, is, I think, wage labor is mostly joyless. It doesn't have to be, and we can find spaces where it's not. In the classroom, I can sometimes, depending on the humans, you know, I just, but on the whole, I think capitalism kills joy for sure. And for me, I was saying this to somebody as I was planning this episode, I think like my friend group is the opposite of the work people because all of my all of my friends take major social risks and they all are extremely interested in comedy because it's high risk high yield and so there's a lot of play and vulnerability and risk there and that doesn't happen at work because everybody's up there on ass is so fucking hard and so that like i hate going to work like i will be there but i just want to fuck around <laughs> right? I want to make jokes and build social justice stuff and fuck the rest of it. I can, I, and the older that I get, I have way less patience. 
yeah. or the micromanaging controlly shit that happens in the workplace that's so anti-joy like I feel like I'm just like so over that and all I want to do is blow it up now so I feel like you know the laughter and humor are really important to me I also think I was thinking about capaciousness and capacity I think people don't have capacity for joy because they fill their heads with bullshit right so comparison certainly but also just shit that doesn't matter you know petty things or grudges or minutiae or whatever they're micromanaging or their task list white ladies love task lists right so they love their planner and their color coding and their you know whatever their stationary bullshit which i, I mean I'm, I'm with you sisters i also love the stationary shop however you know there's a point at which that becomes a substitute for the risk and the play and the joy and then it's just like a boner killer for anything even remotely interesting. So I just feel like people shove all this other crap in and then they don't have capacity to play or to take risks or to, um, to be less afraid. And so I was thinking a bunch about stuff that prevents joy, right? Because I think we're surrounded by stuff that prevents joy. We're disincentivized from enjoying ourselves in a way that I, I don't, I don't mean to be a dilettante, even though I joke about being a dilettante, right? Like, I don't mean that kind of like, we're all playing billiards every night, right? And dressed up like we, you know, we're living at Downton Abbey. I don't mean that kind of play. But I was thinking about, you know, certainly trauma and pain and crisis are the opposite of joy and doom is, and we're in a doomy kind of moment, right? So it's like, I, I joked to somebody on the phone today, I'm like just waiting for the plague of locusts or the murder hornets or whatever is the next wave of this bullshit because crisis um, is, creates this sense of impending doom, which undermines our ability to participate in joy, to cultivate it intentionally or to access it spontaneously, especially we're not, we're not in person. This is a real interesting time to pick joy as a topic, right? Because we're at the end of like, what is probably like universally regarded as the worst year, <laughs> just terrible. Um, so it's interesting to talk about joy now, because it's like, like, don't you have a responsibility, like a moral or ethical responsibility to feel like some kind of like solemn empathy with folks who are grieving and like folks who are experiencing injustice at the hands of the state. So like, how do you feel joy in the midst of that? And like, for me, it's like, life would be brutal without joy, you know, like, even though things are hard and there's a lot of work to do, like we have to have joy. Like even if the bad things outweigh the good things, joy can be that thing, that stabilizing force, that thing that motivates people, you know, to like remain engaged and to keep going. So it's really important. And I don't understand why we don't prioritize it more like in the workplace because I think joy can be like a real motivating force. When I was in student organizations in college, we made like a really big effort to be fun, like to encourage retention. In a volunteer organization, no one wants to do like the work unless there's also fun. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think that applies. Like you, you know, you want to mess around at work. Everyone wants to mess around at work and like, Creating space and opportunities for that to happen, like I think, makes people more loyal, happier. I don't understand why we don't prioritize it more. 
because people think that they need to be serious. So, you know, I, I look at something like Mad Men, which is obviously not a historical artifact, but also is a nostalgia for a historical moment when all the men got to fuck around all the time, right? So, you know, what happens when the white ladies become the middle management is that nobody gets to fuck around because they're so intense and anxious about leading and having responsibility and exercising power because nobody's taught them or talked to them about that and they're not collaborating about it. And so it becomes this like fragile, fraught shit that's anti-black and boring and ableist and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and as Lee points out in the chat, they'll immediately be accused of being silly. Yeah, I, I feel fine about silly. Uh, but I do think that there is no joy without suffering. They're coterminous. You cannot have one without the other. That's the whole fucking point, is that the joy is what punctuates the suffering and helps us see the contours of it in ways that make us have deeper appreciations for, like, all of the things that we talked about that were constitutive of joy. So the spontaneity or the connectedness or gratitude as a part of joy or centeredness or authenticity or, you know, all of the non-coercive, you know, free sorts of spaces that one can inhabit in the self and with others. That is the good stuff of it, but you cannot have that without the suffering. So I feel bad for the folks who haven't just accepted the suffering right? Just as like a fundamental feature of human life and who are not then directing rage, which I think is coterminous with joy too, towards ameliorating the suffering. Like that is the whole point is to actualize political rage to help produce joy. There is no joy without rage. There is no joy without suffering. And I think what happens is that the middle management stuff is where anxiety and catastrophic thinking and fear and burnout, all of that stuff lives, right? And uh, I have to overschedule my life so I can't feel joy. Because if I feel joy, what if I lose it? And then I can't have it all the time. And then I'm not going to be perfect. And then I'm not going to get promoted. And then people aren't going to think I'm cool, whatever, blah, 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 blah. All of that stuff takes up the space in the brain that should be where we are cultivating joy. And instead, we're down in this morass of narcissism about our own achievement. And I mean, I think feminism produces this, right? I think, it, I think feminism actively produces hyperachievement and anxiety in people, but especially in white women, although not exclusively so, that then create all these shame patterns, right? And stress responses that then force women to want to control, 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 micromanage, manage, manage. And when that's the dynamic, how can there be space for joy? How can there be space for spontaneity? How can there be space for grief even, for actual, honest, hyper-present grief? I just don't think that people are you know, they don't have the space to be present with themselves, let alone with other people. And so they fill it with all this other shit that just demoralizes them in every aspect of their life, whether it's over-parenting and being codependent with their children or, you know, being the best PTA parent in the history of the world or whatever the white lady things are in particular. And for, pe for women of color, I think insofar as feminism is an animating force in their life, then it becomes about sort of the struggle for you know, gender equality for women or LGBTQ people with no understanding about how social transformation has to happen in all of the people in the spaces, right? Like feminism is worthless if it doesn't transform other people in ways that are useful and destroying capitalism and anti-blackness and stuff. So why bother?
you know, Lord. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of cultivating joy uh, ends up just being like the same kind of like self-care shit. Yeah. <laughs> there are all these expectations. Like you need, you won't be able to feel joy until you X, until you like get a bullet journal, like you were saying with all, all of the highlighters <laughs> and like planning stuff. And like, um, you know, like Marie Kondo's minimalism uses uh joy as a premise like get rid of anything that doesn't spark joy but I think that's a really strange way to frame joy because like even though it's about like getting rid of your shit that you think was supposed to make you happy like it's still like relies on the premise that things objects can bring you joy I think it's weird to like expect like to be able to follow all of these steps, like these outlines or to like expect to be perfect or performing like in a way that society kind of expects from you and then expect that to like bring you joy. That's not constructive. And that's, I I just feel like the like common narrative of how we do joy is like too self-helpy. I don't even think people think about joy. Honest to God. I really just do not think that anybody thinks about it in any kind of intentional way. On the whole, I think people are not intentionally thinking about their lives. I don't think that they can articulate what they want uh, in terms of their desires. And I don't think that they can talk about what they need. So if they can't do those things, they're so far away from being able to talk about joy as a precondition for humanity or empathy or real present grief or any of the other stuff that we're talking about here in the sidebar. I think that that there, there is such a lack of attunement with the self. How can you possibly experience joy? Maybe you can ex- experience pleasure or delight, but that shit's fleeting, right? That joy is, I think, a thing that you can tap into continuously as an ontology, <laughs> as an orientation towards the truth and towards being. That's how joy is, which is why we were talking about joy. I like, I'm joyful pretty much all, I have two speeds, joy and rage. That's it. There's not a whole lot else. Okay. <laughs> I do not, there are no other speeds. I, I'm highly calibrated to those things. And like I said, I think they're coterminous. But I think, you know, Marie Kondo is such a, so weird, A, because it's, su- it's such a weird ploy for the West to be like, You've got all this shit, now give it away. Where do you think that that stuff goes? That goes to other people's houses, where it's also not making them happy. So that's odd. I agree that the objectification of joy is super freaky and weird. I'm a poor, so I find it very odd, like, to give away your shit, right? Especially when you live through, I don't know, global economic downturn. It seems good to have, like, all of those, you know, bread ties around. I I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me because I grew up poor. So I'm like, no, 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 no. That's how you stave off the worst of the worst. So that's just, there's weird class stuff to that. And I also, I don't know, minimalism to me should is synonymous with brutalism, right? So I'm just like the weird, the self-denial of that seems not self-carry. I understand clutter might make you feel sad in your office, but also like being able to be a minimalist takes a high degree of class specificity and seems to be more aesthetic than it is ethical. So I'm like super suspect of Marie Kondo as like this sort of, you know, 
I don't know, guru, Asian guru, exoticized guru who's going to tell the capitalists how to capitalist more aesthetically. I don't know. I, I'm super skeptical. And also like editing your book collection as all of the jokey articles about that it seems foolish to me. More books, more better. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's definitely predicated on like having money so, like so that you can buy stuff when you need it and not like perfect thing or the thing that fits exactly in that corner or yeah. the thing that has exactly the right dimensions or just the exactitude of it seems so hyper controlling it just freaks me out I, I don't know maybe it's because I'm a midwestern catholic I just I'm like why would you want to live in a curated space like why would you want to live in a museum like yeah. I don't can't I literally can't even fathom it's like, I have three can openers and it's better than having one. Yeah. Do they bring me to one? Yes. Because they open the beer. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, exactly. So, but also I let people leave their trash beer in my fridge and I drink them later, even though I don't want them. And that makes me feel like an ethical consumer. Even though there's shitty beers in my fridge, I will on occasion drink that Miller Lite, even though I don't, you know, I don't, so I don't know the the orderliness of it I find like sort of offensive because I I don't believe her that there's joy I yep. do not believe that she she is producing joy I I cannot suspend my disbelief to go there with her that closely editing your stuff is where the joy yeah. is if I had to throw out everything in my house that didn't spark joy, I like would have nothing left but like me and my pets. Like, you know? yeah, I just sort of feel like that's capitalizing on fantasies of space um, that are more about fantasies of space and less about joy. So, I, you know, I, I think that that's a bait and switch situation with the Marie Kondo. I don't think that that's serious stuff. I think it is bullshit, self-help, middle-class lady bullshit. I, I think it's very ungood. What do you think the opposites of joy are? Like I said, I, I think competition um, like that is kind of an anti-joy thing where you're like looking to get the better of someone or like anytime you're making someone your enemy, that's um, never a good situation. Like anti-collaboration. I also think burnout probably is the opposite of joy. Um, so anytime you don't have enough rest or... Um, like work takes priority in this way that's like unsustainable that feels like the opposite of joy to me normalcy like expectations for me like joy is never like following the rules <laughs> yeah. totally agree with that 100 percent. someone in the comments deb she's saying fear i like that I think I was thinking about numbness and despondency. So I, I ran into, um, I was walking around the square, you know, how you can get a booze and walk around the square. And I had not done that yet. And so I went early at like three o'clock and got booze and walked around the square. And I ran into the, one of the 80 year old guys that I used to drink with in the before times. And I was so glad he was still alive. And I said, I love your new glasses. And he's like, I ate a bunch of mushrooms and fell in the lake and lost the old ones. And I was like, it's a good reason to get new glasses. So I, like, obviously it was like so joyful and he was so happy to shout at me from across the street. And he was like, where have you been? Nobody has seen you. And I was like, I've been working, man. I've been juggling all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, but you, what have you been doing with your time? And he meant socially. 
And I was like, I, I've been sober. I have not been out. Like I'm a social drinker. I, I don't drink at my house. And I thought, I thought this, eight, he's like seven feet tall. I thought he was going to fall out. It had never occurred to him that other people could like go out and have fun, but then also not be wasted all the time. And so I was thinking about the pandemic and how many people are just straight numbing out in the pandemic, which I like cannot relate to. Cause I'm like, I want to be hyper present. I'm like, this is some shit. Is anybody else seeing this? Cause I'm seeing it all day, every day. So I have the totally opposite reaction where I, I want to not numb out. So I've been thinking about a bunch about numbness and I was thinking about indifference as the opposite of joy. I think people who can't give a fuck about themselves or other people definitely are not feeling joy. So indifference is, I think, an opposite of joy. Yeah. So I, I cannot mess with people who are indifferent and that do not have theories of power that recognize suffering, especially, you know, in the, on the micro level in institutions. I'm, I cannot cannot fuck with those people because I'm like, you are not trustworthy. You are not alive. Yeah. You cannot see or be seen. And I was thinking a lot about visual metaphors and about how being seen is part of joy. Like there is this part, like joy is like the unmasking of the self, right. Or uncloaking in a way that is about, you know, being present and seeing and being seen in this way that is uh, more satisfying than like whatever the bullshit masks we wear out in the world. Yeah. You know? I agree, but I think some of some of these things, like indifference, um, I I I think sometimes they can be like a strategy of survival, you know. And so we have to think about how like work situations can like preclude people from joy, and like how joy is more available um, to certain people, and especially during the pandemic, I think about like folks who are upset about like being trapped at home and like being like kept from like social interactions as their source of joy and then I think about like people being trapped at their job like like which is worse and um I don't know like I I I think for me like in situation work situations especially ones where like your behavior has to be hyper-regulated, like mm -hmm. customer service, um, retail, um, like you really have to hyper-regulate your behavior to the person who like, I, people have like expectations that their money like should change the way that you interact with them. <laughs> and so like for me, like it's very hard to feel joy in those situations because like there's a certain amount of like control that you have to feel. And I feel like sometimes indifference, you know, can be like a survival strategy there. But uh, I also think what can we do in order to improve the possibility for joy in those kinds of spaces? Like obviously like giving people, like paying them. <laughs> like there's a lot of like, we don't even check all the like basic necessity boxes there. So it's then like joy is like, the self-actualization piece like there's a lot of like basic necessities that we need to handle for those people like before we can start talking about joy but like I, you know I was thinking about uh, joy as a privilege I 100% disagree that joy is a privilege if for the reason that I think the arguments about class and stuff right producing joy that's like the evidence, right? That joy is actually accessible to everybody and the capitalism is what fucks it 
for, you know, certainly in the West. But I, I think that, I think joy is accessible to everybody. And as a poor person, I would say, you know, somebody put it in the, in the comments, like when you have nothing, it's easier to feel joy because you've already felt that. So you know what the rock bottom is. And I, I feel that I feel like I can take so many more risks. I've already been poor. I don't know what that feels like. I'm not scared of that at all. And it creates more contingency. And obviously, you know, I talk about risk on the podcast a lot. You and I have that in common. It's why we're friends. Also the humor. We like the big, big, big risks, big yield. And I think that, you know, while, while, social joy perhaps is not equally distributed because of capitalism. I don't think it's because we can't equally access it. I think it's because we are surrounded by people who are actively undermining our ability to have it. And that's not the same as the ability to have it. That's about structures, structures of indifference, right? So Virginia Woolf writes at length about indifference being a tool of social, like subversive social, you know, survival. And I'm with her 100%. She's the goat. But I, that's not really what I mean. I mean the indifference of public policy. I mean this ridiculous debate over 600 versus $2,000 stimulus checks. That is a politics of indifference that is sucking the joy out of the country, right? When the most exciting thing happening is that Bernie Sanders might filibuster Mitch McConnell's trash ass, you know, in the Senate. That's, that is how joyless the, the things have become. So I, I actually think joy is something we can all participate in. It's just that the capitalism gets in the way. So that's why I like, I like your comments about competition being the thing that really cuts you know, joy out from the everyday. But it's also about freedom, right? Freedom is a precondition for joy, whether that's just like interpersonal freedom or freedom in the conversation, or but certainly freedom from fear and also the hypervigilance of the workplace and civility politics. I mean, the worst thing to me about being in the workplace is that you can't be crude, even in situations that call for crudeness because they point out hypocrisy and abuse and that makes me fucking stabby because, because it's not just that you're, you're silly if you're a woman in the workplace, right? Having fun. It's also that if you're the killjoy, right? Who's pointing to the horrors uh, using the crude language, then somehow you're not producing civility. So that straight jacket, I mean, just, I find revolting. Yeah. <laughs> I like struggle with this because I've been told I have a bad attitude a lot <laughs> at work and like part of it's just like but I'm just trying to like tell you that this thing isn't okay or you know <laughs> yeah that's a boundary it doesn't yeah. have to make you sad it's just a boundary <laughs> yeah but it's like um certain narratives in the workplace have precedence depending on like who has the power we had an episode about killjoy and that's something I wanted uh, to talk about. How can you be both a killjoy and like an advocate for joy? We How can you not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, something we talked about in the episode a lot, like being a killjoy is like exposing the mechanisms of privilege and exclusion that undergird traditional narratives. So like being a killjoy is like recognizing the shit that doesn't work for you right so that you can access and identify and promote the stuff that does the stuff that like is sexy to you 
which is maybe not what sexy to like the Catholics that raised you. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, Catholics are pretty into the sexy. That's like their well. distinguishing faith. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's the thing they're the all Southern Baptists that raised you. They're into that. They're not going <laughs> to yuck your yum. Um, but <laughs> that's a whole reason for Protestant Reformation was too much yum. <laughs> Uh, and too much empire, I suppose, you know, just a shout out to the historians. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you have to be a killjoy who embraces joy. I think the killjoys who don't embrace joy are the callouts who do call out culture. And they're a joyless crew of assholes, aren't they? I mean, they just want to ruin shit. They think there's power in destruction. They're producing, you know, a kind of masculine discourse within feminism that it, that reproduces racism and ableism and heterosexism and stuff. So I just think that the killjoys who don't do joy are the most destructive elements of activist life. So obviously, you know, I've been thinking a lot about joy and activism as somebody who's done politics for a long time. I've had joy in really fascist workplaces and politics that were fun and interesting and inspiring and weird and instructive and joyful. And um, I would say politics has more joy than education by a long shot, actually. And so for me, the constant tension is just like the mediocrity of American education and how joyless that is fucking your way to the middle. And then the constant dynamism of politics and the way that it's constantly shifting and people are adapting and changing and moving and growing and failing and getting back up and doing it again. Whereas the Academy is just about, you know, finding your niche and replicating it until you die, which is like straight out of the matrix, why we're all just Mr. Smith's replicating ourselves in every program as much as we can to become a virus. That's not really how politics works. So for me, there's a dynamism to the killjoy that I think has to be retained for them to have any sort of ethical or social value. I think just the killing people's shit that they like and then not offering correctives or participating in collaborative reconstruction is just being an asshole. I don't even know that that's really being a killjoy. It's just being a ni just nihilist, destroying everything, you know? And so I think that there's no real way to do kill joy ethically without collaboratively producing joy. There has to be like, as you were bringing up education, I think like there's a certain amount of like, um, and I think that some killjoys do this and like some call out, like there's like a right answer to things and like pursuing like being right <laughs> is like, that's where things get murky I think like there should be a dialogue and not a monologue um like there's not one like perfect answer for everyone of course like everyone has like human rights that have to be respected and boundaries that like need to be respected but also like a dialogue is important and like the ability to be wrong is important and like I think our education system fails in that way because it's so achievement oriented and like failure is a place where like learning can happen and joy can happen and so being a killjoy is about starting a dialogue and it's a problem <laughs> when you're like trying to paste over like narratives with your own like version of reality 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of fortunate that we've had this national dialogue about gaslighting with the narcissist in chief and about sort of the collective delusions we all struggle with and against to produce, you know, this monstrosity called the U.S. empire. I think, though, that joy has to be a collaborative affair when it's structural. So like at its best, joy is collaborative. That means it's intentional. It's not hierarchical. It's not coercive. It's responsive and attentive to the other people, right? That's why you're laughing together. So you're like, oh God, we just transgressed this boundary. We just jump with both feet. It's a Thelma and Louise moment, if I could steal a second wave feminist kind of thing. And it's responsible. I think joy, you know, it, when it's structural has to be responsible, responsive and responsible. But I, I think just like, I don't know, I, I'm surrounded by people who like fake laugh at work. And I think that they would say they were joyful, right? It's just like, ha ha ha, look at us fake laughing about stuff that doesn't matter. Like academics are not a joyful people. They're too neurotic. So I, I feel like, you know, the idea that we have to call that out is really important. And I think the way that we soften it is through humor, right? But, you know, the, the, the culture does not value humor. It does not value comedy, not as a genre, not as an ontology, not as a communicative strategy, not as, as you call it, a dialogue. We do not value funny people, right? Because they're, they're silly or they're foolish. I don't know, is there anything more useful than a pratfall in convincing people not to take themselves so seriously? No. So I don't know, I, I feel myself, oh, I've always been drawn to like pratfall comedy, like physical comedy. Cause I'm like, oh, those people are good time. Cause they don't take themselves too seriously. They can take up all kinds of weird ass space and transgress boundaries and try stuff out. That's where the innovation is happening in the physical environment. That for me is a total turn on, right? Cause I'm like, look at you taking up space and breaking the norms. But in the places where we have to kill joy in politics or in the workplace or in the family or whatever, the norms are so straight jackety, right? That it it's hard to find joy in, in being the killjoy there. When I think about like the way that we should value our economy, I don't understand why joy doesn't enter into it or like some kind of happiness quotient. Like every time I hear GDP, I'm like, Ugh. you know, like don't talk to me about the stock market. Don't talk to me about GDP. Like none of that shit matters. Like why don't we have a joy quotient? Like really? Um, because of the Puritans, Laura, because no. suffering is the only badge of honor, because that is how, you know, if you deny your pleasures, if you perform the best self-denial, if you put on your shirt of hair and flagellate yourself, right, and prostrate yourself and be the chick who cries at work all the time because it's so hard and to, right, prostrate yourself over the minutia of your kid's homework and over all assorted stupid shit. Thanksgiving dinner. God, I can list a million things that are so not important, but it is the suffering of that that is the defining feature of certainly white femininity in the United States, without a doubt. It is the suffering Olympics, right? Whether they're clad in yoga pants or they're pious, right? Devotees on the weekends. It doesn't matter. The thing is to produce suffering and suffering is the badge that you're trying your hardest and that you're achieving your best life. What a snow job. What is their job? And then to watch other people try and convince other people that they're not being gaslit about it is like the ultimate 
right in in snow jobs because you're just watching these people who are miserable being like no no yeah we're suffering we hate each other you know you're gonna do this someday you're gonna want this this is this is what it looks like to be in a good relationship or a good family or a good school or good job like the good is probably the opposite of the joy if we're being totally honest yeah I mean I'm guilty of that too like doing the hyper achieving stuff and even like overworking myself like when it wasn't even necessary to do so just because like I you know that's what you're supposed supposed to do so uh I I I really hope that we I like the pandemic as an opportunity to like reevaluate um I know that's you know like not as possible for every person the pandemic was a different experience for everyone and so like not everyone had the same time to reflect um but I hope like as a society (laughs) we're able to like reflect um and have been able to reflect more on like what is important I mean I'll tell you what my dream is there was like oh yeah I hate working that hard we're all now gonna work less and be more forgiving of ourselves and others. And we're not gonna go back to overscheduling our bullshit with a bunch of people who are not, you know, collaborating with us. And, you know, for me, joy is intentional. It is an intent, even though it happens spontaneously and there's great delight in the spontaneity of it, it has to be an intentional process. So I agree with you that the pandemic has provided an opportunity for reflection. I don't, I don't think that we're in a culture that values reflection. It certainly doesn't talk about it. And we're not in pods or families or units that do reflection together. So I, I want us to all just be like, fuck that. We're not going, no, fuck normal. It was bad for us. A lot of black kids died. A lot of trans people got murdered. Nobody gave a fuck about it. Tons of people are hungry. That seems bad, right? There's no, there's no reason to let people hoard wealth the way that we have been. That's a social evil. Let's not go back. I mean, I, I can't even, it, the Biden administration is going to start. I'm going to lose my shit over this back to normal crap. I can't, I can't imagine whose fucking fantasy that is. Like we just went through all of this in various degrees of suffering. And you think like February, 2020 was fucking peak. What is this? A John Hughes film? If so, you're the fucking outcast. All right. Go eat your nails and your hair in the corner. This is not, that's not useful space. Yeah. Like February, 2020, let's just roll back the fucking, are you serious? For me, I think we should feel less guilt about like saying no. Yeah. I think we should feel less guilt about disagreeing with people even with people who have authority and power over you um and i think we should feel less guilt about fucking up (laughs) and for me like this is an important opportunity to just to untether yourself from certain expectations you know nothing else the expectations of people that you hate i mean i just why do you my kid and I were at the coffee shop yesterday and we were, we were going through, they, you know, run out your drink and I had the window down and I turned on the playlist and she melted down. She's like, you cannot let them hear your music. And it wasn't even like, it's not like I'm blaring fuck the police. Although, you know, that's not out of character. You know, it was like Taylor Swift or some shit. And I'm like, you cannot care what these people think. They're not thinking about you. 
they're thinking about whatever their own bullshit. You cannot care what these people think about you or your music or being at the coffee shop or with the window down. That is not a thing to care about. And so we had this long discourse. I'm sure that I dragged it along, you know, much longer than she would have preferred. But that was about, you know, letting go of the expectations of people that you do not know and that you do not like. Why are you trying to please them? That seems like a fool's errand. I mean, just like no on that, you know? So I, I hear you, and I, but I'm extremely pro-weird um, as like an orientation towards the future. I, I mean, I would like to keep Fayetteville weird, but I don't know that we're on the same page about like what that actually means. That's fine. I'm willing to have those debates. There's, there's a great um, book by Sarah Schulman, uh, the playwright and essayist called Conflict is Not Abuse. And she's got a bunch of um, great interviews about it in the last couple of years. That's so great because I just really feel like the, the white ladies in particular are very fighty because they're so insecure. And they think that low level conflict is abusive and they get wound about it because they just cannot handle disagreement. And um, it's a really useful, I think, meditation, certainly for activists. It's like, you are going to disagree about strategy. That's the fucking point. That is the point of being in movement. You're not in static, you're in movement. That means you're moving. It's dynamic, it's constantly changing. There's a lot of tension. That's the point, that's the actual point. So you have to be able to understand that surfing conflict is what makes us better at problem solving and doing joy and collaborating and hearing others and articulating our needs more clearly and right d deep diving into desire like you cannot do any of that shit without conflict so I'm always really suspect of anybody who's conflict avoid because I'm like conflict is where the sexiest but I don't mean dominance and I don't mean you know exploitation and replicating bad power structures. I mean, in like fighting over meaning and what, what should be our normal and what is acceptable and unacceptable in a country as rich as this, you know? And I mean, especially in higher ed, which is so white, right? It's like all of the white people fantasizing that they're victims of abuse when really they're victims of a tyranny of mediocrity that's made their lives fucking small. That is not the same as abuse. Right. But then they replicate themselves as these victims. And I feel like the pandemic is a moment to rethink, you know, what we have perpetrated and what we've actually been victims of and how that dynamism has either robbed us of our ability to produce joy or created opportunities for us to forgive ourselves and to begin producing joy more intentionally and more frequently. So I, yeah, I'm not optimistic about that, obviously, but that's what I would like moving forward is that we not succumb to a nostalgia of the before times of February, 2020, which was still a fucking dumpster Horrible. fire. Every, year, really every year since 2016 has been like the worst year yeah. it's clearly worse. It's clearly worse than it was. Um, but also we can do so much better if we had space to collaborate on different visions of the future. <laughs> <laughs>